I'm Dave Rubin and this is The Rubin Report. I originally interviewed Candace Owens on March 12th to discuss her new book, Blackout, but as we recorded, news of COVID-related lockdowns began and suddenly the news cycle totally shifted. Now, six months later, we're picking up the conversation and then releasing the original conversation, unedited, along with the new pickup we're doing right now. Most guests would never allow an interview to sit for so long, but if I can say one thing about Candace Owens, it's that she's a woman of her words. Candace, we shot that interview, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was March 12th, and it basically was the day that the lockdowns were beginning, and the second we stepped out of the studio, your assistant, my whole team, everyone's telling us we're freaking out, you guys had to get out of LA, but you are a woman true to your word, even now, six months later, because you were like, ah, I don't think this is anything, this is nonsense, they're trying to take Trump out, and from everything I know of you since then, you, you have consistently put that message out there. Um, so first off, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I think it's also important that I break the story here that on that day, uh, the morning I woke up at my hotel, I had an allergic reaction to a feathered pillow. So my voice was scratchy and I had a cold and I came in and Dave and his husband did not believe that I had had an allergic reaction and they thought I was COVID-19. <laughs> It wasn't just that you had an allergic reaction. You came in, you were coughing and sneezing. The news is breaking all over the world. And, and you were telling us that you had blood, that you were coughing blood earlier in the morning. And then you're like, oh, you don't mind if I work from your house all day, do you? And what did I do? What does a real friend do? You did. And we even fed you. Yes, but that is what feathered pillows do to me. I have the strangest allergy with feathered pillows, and if I sleep on one, I wake up and I will literally be coughing blood, but the timing, I will give you credit. It was just bad timing with all of the COVID-19 stuff freaking out, so. Man, how bad would, would Vox love it if Candace Owens was patient zero on COVID-19? I mean, come on. They would have loved it so much. They would have loved it. All right, so. Listen, I said to you before we did this that I wanted to do a pickup with you because it does feel like a totally different world. In just six months, it feels so different. But we are gonna air that interview totally unedited, just as it was. Um, but I thought it was worth talking for another half hour or so just about what has gone on for the last six months, if any of that has changed your, your feelings on anything or anything else. So first off, you, you are in DC. Uh, you've become a creature of the swamp somehow. Um, what's life like in DC? How has COVID affected you? And, and you know, you're pretty outspoken about this stuff, but are, are you okay with any level of lockdowns, any level of masks, anything? I'm not okay with any of it. You know, I think it's very easy when people are scared um, to convince them to give up their freedoms. And we saw that. I mean, people, hardcore conservatives suddenly like, yes, we should all be locked down, force businesses to close. Um, and it's an act of tremendous cowardice in my opinion. Um, for people not to realize that even in times of a pandemic, uh, we still have to have our basic freedoms. The freedom for if you are an individual and you think that COVID-19 is the bubonic plague, you should have the freedom to be able to decide to stay at home and lock yourself in a basement and order you know, Seamless and Instacart if that's what you want to do. But you should also allow me to have the freedom to open my business and to say, if you'd like to come in my business, um, you know, I'd love to host you here. 
Um, that's that freedom doesn't go away because of a pandemic. And I think people sort of lost the thread on that because they were so terrified. You know, now people have obviously shifted their opinions and where people are on my side, I tend to take a very bold and strong opinion early on when people are unsure. Um, but to me, it was the entire coronavirus narrative was just too perfect and too timely uh, in an election cycle. Uh, we have to force, we have to shut down the economy. We have to put everybody on welfare uh, and, and give them stimulus checks. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody can leave their home, so they have to rely on the mainstream media narrative because they can't go out and have experiences with their friends that would make them say, you know what, maybe um, it's not as scary as it is. As I've been out to a party a few times and I haven't gotten the illness, so. I never trusted it. Uh, of course, I think coronavirus is real. Um, what I was questioning was the idea that it, it was some plague-like thing that was going to take us all out if we stepped outside of our door. And I, I really thought it was about mail-in voting from, from day one. Yeah. And by the way, you were taking it from both sides. You kind of touched on this because you were you were giving it to conservatives who were all about a lockdown suddenly and, and you know, government overreach, let's say. And then I saw like the, the usual suspects, the lefty blue check people, because you dared to go to Whole Foods without a mask. And then there were several blue check people that blood is on your hands, Candace. Huh? How many people have you killed? How many? Apparently tons for going to Whole Foods. They were like, how could she possibly say she goes to Whole Foods every day? And I'm like, look, I can't go anywhere because she shut down all of my events happen to live near a Whole Foods and I like to look at what they have at the meat counter every day. Um, so, you know, I, at the, t you know, at the time during COVID lockdowns, I was early in my pregnancy. So, um, I am an asthmatic, so I have pre-existing conditions and I ended up deciding to travel the world, uh, because I was that convinced of how untrue the narrative was. And I was shocked to discover the second you step outside of America, you realize we're the only ones playing the crazy game. When I was in England, there were no mask mandates. I went to Croatia. They have no idea that there's even uh, you know, corona, coronavirus going on. The kids are running around really no masks, no social distancing. Um, so it, it just felt to me, especially when I got home, because I had those experiences that it was really being manufactured for Americans. All right, so I wanna ask a question that I think cuts to the heart of the Candace Owens that I know, but is also the, the, the public Candace Owens, which is those first few days when everyone was freaking out, when everyone was really freaking out, and you just took that position of this is BS, this is nonsense, all of that stuff. What is it about you? I've, I've asked you some version of this before because I even remember seeing your tweets right at the beginning and I was kind of like, oh, Candace, like you might really be stepping in it right now. You know, if, if a week later it turns out that, you know, half of us have this thing or everyone over 60 is dead. But what is it about you that you just do it? You, you just get the thought and you're just like, I'm rolling. <laughs> You know, I think I have very good gut instinct. Um, I, I, I have, I just always really trusted my gut um, on certain things. And, and like I said, it was, it was too perfect. And usually, if something seems too perfect, it's because it's too perfect. Um, and it was just also all of the media. The death ticker was very strange to me. Like that, we've never done that before. I mean, if if CNN and MSNBC did a death ticker for every time there was a car accident, you'd be terrified to get in your car. So I was already seeing that there was a psychological element that the media was playing because there was, it was just very bizarre to see a death ticker for anything. Of course, you're way more likely to get into your car and get into an accident in LA, but they would never do that. Um, and, and so I really felt that it was just too easy for them to get into the minds of so many people. And I'm so crazy about not being brainwashed. And um, it just, and none of it made sense to me at all. It just, it just from start to finish, never thought it made any sense. <laughs> so, so where do you think we're at with it right now? Like, do you think Trump should be 
doing more in terms of forcing states to open or should he just sit back and let them all do what they want or where are you at? I think if I was the president of the United States, I would do exactly what he did in terms of sending it back down to state by state sovereignty um, because it allows people to really understand who's running their state. Um, depending on what state you're in, you, you know, you're either living in a communist state or you're living with freedoms. You're either living with, you know, Ron DeSantis or Gavin Newsom. Um, and it's important for people to understand that their leaders are behind this so that they can't just put it all on the president. But I do think uh, when he wins reelect in November, he needs to he needs to put a stop to this immediately. Um, and I, I'm already seeing governors saying that sort of a thing, like Ron DeSantis said he will not lock down his state. What's, what is predictable is that there will be a second wave, which is more deadly, uh, right about now. So we're going to start seeing that in October, and they're going to start ramping up that rhetoric. Um, and I think that, you know, at that moment, we need people to start standing up and saying no. And we're seeing that in other countries uh, where, you know, they've, they have been fighting for their rights, and we need to see more of that in America because you'll wake up one day and you won't have any. And I, I, I have not worn a mask, so I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it's public knowledge that you are pregnant, right? I don't have to whisper that. So you're also you're, you're also six months pregnant. We're obviously we're obviously thrilled for you, but I, I know you're not going to do something reckless with your health or the health of your baby. You're you're doing what you think is right. Right, exactly. And you know, my both of my sisters happened to have their first babies, uh, two little boys, uh, in April. So in the middle of lockdowns, I spent time with my family. I spent time with my grandfather, who's the most high risk. You know, type one uh, diabetic. He's seventy five percent blind. He has seen all of his family members during coronavirus. Um, because even if you are an old person, you are at risk, who is the government to tell you what you're allowed to value at the time that you have life, the, the time that you have left of your life? My grandfather values being with his great-grandchildren, his grandchildren, um, and his family. You know, he's, he's lost, he lost his wife. Uh, those people have lived through harder times. They, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you're talking about yeah. people who have seen real struggle, and you're telling them they have to stay at home. It's such foolishness to not let, Amer let each individual to make their own decisions about their values. Do you sometimes think that you're sort of like a proxy for other people to live out the sort of boldness or something that they want to live? Because like if I look at what people tweet at you all the time, the pe you know, a lot of people obviously say mean things, okay. But the people that like you, they're always sort of like, oh, I can't say all this stuff in my life. But like Candace just, just says it. So something like Corona, I think a lot of people are, are even right now uh, really afraid to say anything close to what you're saying. Yeah, you know, they definitely have come out. I've gotten so many emails like, I'm so sorry I doubted you, and now I see how they're, you know, fluffing the numbers or how none of it makes sense, and all of these scandals are happening all over. Um, and I hope that. I hope that people see me as a source of inspiration in terms of just being yourself and being audacious. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, to an extent, I know when I first came out, I'll never forget the conversation with Sam Harris. He was like, uh, and bless him, but he was like, this is World War Three. Like, he was like, you all need to be in our bunkers. You all need to stay away. This is the end of the world. And, you know, had, was just pounding me with all of these facts and people that he knew. And I think sometimes people can be so smart that they don't rely on their gut instincts. And I, you know, I, I hope that I, I challenge people to understand that information is constantly um, being manipulated uh, to make us believe one narrative or the other. And sometimes it is best to trust your best, in, your, your gut instincts. And I'm, I'm definitely a gut player and it's, it's served me pretty well. Yeah. By the way, if I'm not mistaken, the, the little thing between you and Sam, that was started publicly. And I think you reached out to me, you made a point of it, and I was able to coordinate so you guys could talk privately instead of doing everything publicly. And we talk about that all the time. When we see yeah. people we know go after each other publicly and it's like, 
Why didn't Why didn't you text me? You could just call me, and maybe maybe I dropped the ball on this one. You know. Say this, people can can fact check me on this. I have never publicly gone after a conservative that has not gone after me first, and I go after them because I hate that. Exactly what you're saying. That I, I I'm responding because I'm like, every single one of you has has a way to reach me. We have mutual friends. It's a small, tight knit conservative circle. So when I see people that are tweeting something about me about me or at me, I know they're doing it for their own ego and for their for clicks, not because they actually want to have a resolution. And to Sam's credit, he tweeted something at me, and then immediately privately said, "Let's hop on the phone," and we had a discussion and. I hung up the phone and was like, you know, we're just on opposite sides of this thing, <laughs> you know, and that's fine too. That's totally fine. Um, but you know, he thought that my tweets were so irresponsible and they were going to get people killed. And, um, and I felt otherwise. And I just said, you know, we're going to have to ride this thing out because we disagree. Um, but I do think there needs to be a bit more of an adult approach on the conservative side in general. Like I'm never trying to go after you with claws on. If I disagree, I'm happy to have a private conversation with you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the other thing. Enough about COVID. Uh, racism, Candace. It's everywhere. There's more of it to go around than ever before. It's a miracle that they even let you use Skype right now as a black woman. I mean, what do we do about this situation? I mean, I think it is really time. The challenge now is to just, dear white people, what the hell have you been thinking allowing this to go on <laughs> to go this far? You know what I mean? At this tail in between the legs, Hey, look, my ancestors, I can at least say, we were dragged with chains and whipped and beaten into submission. White people today, I don't even know what this is. This is crazy. I mean, I've never seen such people um, that are just so willing uh, to to fight for their own oppression, right? To say, oh, I shouldn't deserve it. I should step down from my job. I shouldn't be in this room. I shouldn't be able to say anything. I should be silent for a day. And it is just such, such an openly hostile, okay society um, in terms of treating white people poorly. And, but white people have dug the grave. So it's, it's very bizarre to me. And, you know, I liken it to um, seeing a parent with a toddler, like if you're at a restaurant and the toddler is freaking out and screaming and there are the parents that give the toddler what he wants and that's like mm -hmm. terrible. And white America, when, we, when they see these radicalized black people, because it's not all black people, but they get the attention, right? These radicalized black people screaming and wailing about something, they just give them what they want. No matter what it is, defund the police. Okay, we'll just start talking about defunding the police because you've made that ridiculous, absurd demand that has never been made ever. Um, and so I, it's hard not to think that this is actually the fault of white guilt, right? This is this is white guilt gone too far. You guys are like overdosing on white guilt right now. Um, not me. Hey, not me, lady. I'm not guilty for anything I haven't done, me personally. But you know. And so um, I always just ask, please stop giving the toddlers in the black community what they want. And similarly, I won't give your, you know, freakish little Antifa white thugs what they want, you know, and um, and there just needs to be more people having a bit of a spine, I would say, in the white community. Did, did you sense that this thing was coming sort of like what we were always up against when we would do college events together and it would be this odd sort of Antifa thing, but we didn't know exactly what it was. And it was a little bit before BLM had like fully exposed itself to me. But all of this, and as I said to you in our other interview, and as we've always done at every event we've ever done together, we take questions from people who disagree with us first. But are you shocked how quickly in the last six months this thing like molded together and BLM and Antifa and the Marxists and the Twitter, like the whole thing just morphed into one really evil monster really freaking right. fast, all sort of under the COVID thing. Like it all happened at the same time. Right. 
Um, I wasn't shocked. I mean, I had been warning about this for years. I kept saying during an election cycle, you're going to see race issues drummed up. Now, how violent they've gotten, yes, that surprised me. Um, and uh, also, I would say I've been shocked by the permission they've been given and the excuses and the passes they've been given uh, by politicians. I never foresaw that coming. I, I would think a store gets robbed, looted, uh, torn down, burned, and you know, no matter whether you're left or right, you know, you would stand up and say this is wrong. The inability for politicians to now acknowledge what's right and what's wrong—that has shocked me. Uh, we've hmm. hit a, we've hit a, a real low point when um, people are saying this is okay, when politicians don't have this bind to say, you know what, I'm actually not okay with funding the police and we need to isolate this incident and, and compartmentalize this incident and not say that every police officer is wrong. Um, and so I, I am shocked at how much the left hates America um, and how much the left hates people that do the right thing because that's really what it's come down to. If you do the right thing, if you earn accolades in life, if you, you know, climb the ladder in life, they hate you. Um, and they're saying there's not a place for you anymore. If there's something fundamentally wrong with free markets, with capitalism, with everything that American and, and Western ideals and Western principles were built upon. So that part shocked me, but not this narrative. I, I, I was seeing it everywhere I went and I knew that they were organized, that they were well-funded and that they were gonna come ready to fight. Yeah, do you, how do you see any chance of getting out of this thing? I mean, as you said, uh, you, you expect Trump to win. I, I think you would think he's going to win big. I, I think he's probably going to win big, too. And it's like, no matter if Biden wins, if Trump wins, if Biden wins big, if Trump wins big, it's sort of like, I don't see a way we get out of this either way. I could see some version, maybe, where if Trump wins by truly a landslide, like a, like a Reagan re-election situation, that maybe, finally, the last few decent Democrats get the kids out of the adult table, like the kids that they've let taken over. That's sort of what you were saying before. Maybe they do it themselves. Um, but that doesn't seem very probable to me. Do you see any way we get out of this thing? Well, the only way we get out of it is if people, and I think we are actually going to are starting to get out of it now in a weird way because people are starting to see socialism manifest, right? Marxist principles manifest. They're looking around their neighborhoods and they're seeing, you know, uh, stores being looted, stores being robbed, violence happening, police getting shot, individual uh, cities that are gone up in crime by something like 267%, right, in New York City and in Chicago. Um, and they're seeing that the suburbs are now being threatened. They're going to come to the suburbs. They're telling people in the suburbs to leave their house. You saw, I'm sure, the video clip, of, maybe you didn't because you were away, but uh, throughout D.C. they were going up to white people at restaurants and oh, yeah, uh, I've seen it. saying, put your fist up and, and say, you know, black power or else you get screamed at. So these people are now seeing you've supported this and now you've seen what it's become. And I think that once those people understand now, not once they see that manifest, they'll change their perspective and they'll, they'll vote differently. Right. And then, of course, once the Democrats if the Democrats lose a ton of seats, it no longer serves them to, to be funding these Marxist movements. It no longer serves them to stand behind the violent criminals. It no longer serves them uh, to pretend that these criminals uh, were righteous. And you'll see a dramatic change in society. And I think that it will secure, as it did in England, if I'm hoping to see what we saw in England, where after Brexit, it just every, every vote went to the Tory party. Um, I think that we will see the same thing in America and we'll save this country for a lot of time to come because people will not forget this. Yeah, I, I sense you're kind of right. You know, I hate when they say the gay community, the black community, the community thing. I hate that. But, you know, I saw this poll just since I've been back that at one point, I guess, post the convention, 
24% of black people were thinking about voting for Trump. Historically, we're looking at like 4%. You know, I tweeted something like a year ago that I thought Trump was gonna get 30% of the black vote. And I know that might be a little crazy, but I still, I think that the, the mask has been pulled off and I, I think something crazy is gonna happen. I really do. do you, are you with me on that? 100%, you know, I've been saying this forever and I was laughed at in the beginning, right? When I first said Blexit and I said the, my vision had always been 20 points by 2020. I knew it was possible uh, because the left can no longer hide from itself. And I was so happy when AOC hit the map uh, because she was just saying it. You know what I mean? The, the, the old school Democrats were good at hiding what they wanted. And then AOC kind of took over their party um, and said, no, this is what we want. And they capitulated to what she was saying. And so they couldn't lie anymore, right? They couldn't lie about the fact that they were supporting these Marxist principles and the destruction of family, Black Lives Matter on the website, destruct the nuclear family. You know, this is wrong, this is backwards. So, and I've just seen so many people, the people you least suspect that have contacted me privately, celebrities that you would just go, this person posted a black square, this person's a Marxist and just going, I've had an awakening and I, I would like to have a private conversation with you all line um and i think that that to me it, it just made me feel just so happy like all of this ha hasn't been for naught. all the beatings that i've taken uh it, it hasn't been for naught. <laughs> yeah well so i think i asked you this six months ago so i may be asking you the exact same question from six months ago in the same interview but since some time has passed uh, we both know what the publishing world is like and it takes a long time to get a book out and as you said because of covid you guys delayed it and you wanted to be able to promote it properly and the rest of it um, are you totally confident that everything that you laid out in Blackout, that these extreme circumstances and this strange time that we live in, it's not going to alter any of the things that you were writing about? Do you feel like it's all timeless enough? Yeah, and I actually added a chapter uh, uh, because of you know my George Floyd video, which got something like oh, yeah. 200 million, 100 million views just on Facebook. Um, and I wanted to double and triple down everything that I said in that video. Um, and really talk about what the Black Lives Matter movement is and just remind people who tried to bully me out of having that perspective that I meant what I meant and I said what I said. And that, that chapter that I added was really just about culture, black culture, that we've done this and it's time for us to take responsibility, that our culture is broken, that we have music that's broken and we're, you know, we, we're, we are encouraging people to believe in this gang lifestyle, this stripper lifestyle, this baby mama lifestyle and it's time to stop blaming white people and realize that we've done this to ourselves and we're the only people that can dig ourselves out of this hole. Yeah, and people seem to be waking up to it. So I'm guessing you, you're not a huge fan of WAP. I just heard about WAP. I'm a little behind. <laughs> WAP, yes. I don't think you and I will be coordinating a dance to that anytime soon, unless you want to. <laughs> yeah, you've, seen, you've seen me dance. <laughs> It won't be pretty. Actually, literally the last time I danced was at your wedding, and it's probably the last time I'll dance for the next year anyway. Um, so it seems like, I mean, I can tell, I said to you right before we started the recording, you sort of have that pregnant glow to you, but, but you seem like particularly happy to me, which, you know, these days everyone, when I was off the grid and people would recognize me or come up to me or if someone came to my house, everyone would say, oh, Dave, it's so much worse, it's so much worse. And it struck me how depressed people are by the news. You know, I, I try to, I take this stuff seriously and I know it's serious, but I also do try to separate myself from it. That's why I do the August thing. Um, but, but you get a ton of hate, as I said, you get a ton of love, but like you really do seem happy in the midst of all of this, which I think is probably weird for some people to see. 
I'm so happy. It's crazy. I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm the happiest person and it can seem totally bizarre, but my perspective is just that all I've ever wanted was for in this crazy game of political poker for the left to just lay down all of their cards and show us their hand and they're doing that. Um, and so it's there, there's this quickening happening right now where people are starting to finally understand my perspective, perspective of so many other people that have been fighting um, alongside me. I mean, on top of that, I have a, a husband, um, you know, that I love. I've been, you know, I recently got married. I'm having a baby. I'm having the easiest pregnancy ever. Um, I work out all the time. I mean, I'm just happy vibes all the time. And I right now also am sensing bizarrely that even amidst uh, all of the different conservative connections that we're all starting to bond a bit better. Um, and we're starting to understand that we all have different strategies, um, but us fighting and pulling each other wasn't really working. And I just, I sense more unity in the conservative movement and more focus, which I'm thrilled about. Um, and so I just have nothing to be upset about. I literally am the happiest person. <laughs> and I'm just like, guys, it's all going to be fine. We're fighting. We're, we're on the good guy side. The good, the good guys always win. So the, the good guys always win. Well, listen, Candace, we, we could do a lot more, but I actually think that's the perfect moment to just give people the other hour that we did together and, and it stands on its own. Um, but I just wanted to chat with you anyway. So that's why we did this mostly. Guys, never forget that when I was coughing blood, my friend wanted me to get tested for COVID-19. <laughs> Excuse me, Dave Rubin made you eggs, made you <laughs> eggs where, when you didn't know where you were going to sleep that night. That really, I mean, people, people can't understand. It's not just that you were telling me you were coughing up blood, but you're coughing, you're sneezing. We're watching the NBA season got canceled, I think right then, I saw the video. And then your assistant was with us too, and she's coughing and she's sneezing, and they're telling us we're all gonna die. And I let you stay till about nine o'clock at night. You <laughs> did indeed, that's a true friend, guys. There you go. Uh, Candace, it was great seeing you as always. We're gonna play the full interview now, and I hope to see you in real life one of these days. I think we're gonna make it happen. Sounds good, guys. Enjoy the interview. How long has it been? It's been about since the original interview. And did I launch that in 2017? You did it. Like I, you were one of my first interviews. Yeah. You and Paul Joseph Watson were my first two. Um, so I, I think that was 2017. Yeah. So let's say it's about three years. Yeah. Uh, you were on the show one other time for some other thing. We'll just let that one be for now. Not <laughs> not important to get into that one. Uh, some people probably know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so it's been about three years. At the time, we were doing YouTube week here, and I just tweeted out, I need to find some YouTubers that are interesting. I wanna do five shows with five different YouTubers in five days, blah, blah, blah. A couple people said, you gotta check out Red Pill Black. We watched your, your first video, which was sort of about announcing to your family that you're a conservative. That kind of caught you on fire. We brought you in here. Feels like another lifetime ago, doesn't it? Because it, it, it was. It, it definitely was a, another lifetime ago. It's it's totally bizarre um, to consider that that was just three years ago and how much has gone on and how much has changed and how much I've changed, how much I've grown, things that I've learned. And um, I feel like when I was sitting across from you those years ago, I was so naive to what I was about to <laughs> be thrown into the middle of. Um, for better or for worse, I was naive. Um, and now I'm much more seasoned, much more experienced, and much more sure of myself. How have you managed to stay sane through the machine? So, cause yeah, you really were just, I mean, kid in a certain way. Like, we, I feel like we were kids. 
And it's only three years ago, and it's not like we're 18, but we were sort of kids in this thing. You started just saying what you thought. Um, one of the moments, we've, we've discussed this many times privately, where I was like, oh, Candace is the real deal, is there was a question that I asked you about the surveillance state in that first interview, and you basically said, I don't have an opinion, I need to know more. And I was like, well, nobody does that. <laughs> that that's where you're supposed to make up some shit. But, right. but you, you actually said that, and I thought, this is someone who will learn going forward. And I think, I think that's definitely what separated me from other people is I've just remained really authentic. Um, I'm not trying to be an expert on everything. I've been honest about the fact that I'm learning. Um, and I say now that I've pretty much grown up politically in front of everybody's faces. They've seen my awkward braces, to use an analogy, my brace phase yeah. and the, uh, the pimple phase of me being in politics. And there were things that I genuinely did not know I had never heard of because I spent my entire life not being politically inclined. Um, and then suddenly I, I, I'm on your show because I just had a feeling, uh, more than a fact, right? I had a feeling that black Americans were being duped um, and that none of it really added up. None of it made any sense. Um, and I wanted to convert those feelings into facts and start really doing the work and studying. Um, and some people wanted to push me as, now you're the leader, you must know everything, um, when I wasn't ready to do that. Um, and other people were trying to make me stand by, the, go, go through these purity tests, if you will, <laughs> the, the Puritan conservatives, and then I have a left trying to destroy me, the Puritan conservatives trying to prove that I wasn't uh, what I was, you know, I guess, held up to be. Um, and it was, it was crappy. It was really crappy because I'm, I'm sitting here going, guys, I'm literally just telling you I've been authentic. I haven't said that people should be following me over you know, into, into another area or anything like that. Um, but I survived it because I'm authentic and, and I wasn't scared. I was never scared to be myself. Um, why not? Why, why not, not scared to be yourself, but why weren't you scared by the attacks? Like when Twitter puts their lead story is basically, you know, on the search bar was like, you know, something like Candace Owens is all right, which eventually they took down after you respond because you always punch back. But what do you think it is about you specifically that, you know, because a lot of people fear this thing. They know who they are, they want to fight, but they just fear the monster. You know, I think it's, for me, what's really aided me is perspective. Um, so I've, I've had people, they're all stressed out about Twitter and Facebook and all of these things. And to me, I think, first and foremost, being someone that came from nothing, you know, a, a, a person that was not raised in a family that had any financial means, uh, who grew up poor, my perspective is a bit different. And I think to myself, if the biggest complaint I have today um, <laughs> is that I'm trending on Twitter about something that I didn't say or was taking out of context, and I'm remarkably blessed. Um, I, a couple of generations ago, my grandfather was picking cotton and laying out tobacco to dry on a sharecropping farm. Uh, I, I couldn't look him in the face and say, I've had a really stressful day because I'm trending on Twitter and that's not what I said. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just perspective. Yeah, you have, you have to, and I also have a tremendously good sense of humor. Yeah, you do, you yeah. do. Well, what is the part of you that is actually political? Because you, you don't really strike me, like when we hang out separately, like we always talk politics, but we talk about a lot of other stuff, and, we, and it's usually cultural, what we're really talking about, but, but you're thought of as like this political beast, like, oh, Candace yeah. is gonna be president, or oh, Candace is gonna be a senator, or you know, yeah. something like that. I mean, I, I remind people of what Andrew Breitbart said about um, politics is downstream from culture. It's such an important thing, he's so accurate with that. Um, the reason why things weren't changing and conservative ideas weren't winning in society is because conservatives, um, by and large, suck up their nose to culture. Um, and I, I say that as somebody um, who had to go through the conservative ring of fire too. 
Um, people know, obviously, that the left routinely attacks me and that they've attacked me since I started making YouTube videos, but they forget that conservatives attacked me too. You know, one of the first hit pieces that was written about me was written by the National Review, and I'll never forget the sentence, this is the sort of conservatism that we need to reject, mm -hmm. is what they wrote. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of, because I was making funny videos, because I was making people understand big concepts, because I wasn't writing a 95 thesis, <laughs> you know, 95 theses and stapling it to a wall and saying, here you go, guys. Right, you weren't uh, in yeah. a think tank. I wasn't funded by tank. a gajillion dollars. Yeah, of, yeah, I was just on YouTube uh, taking some complex topics and being conversational. Um, and, and that same kind of uh, vein of conservatism are the people that thoroughly rejected Donald Trump. Donald Trump is cultural. Uh, he takes complex topics and he, he, he dilutes them down to something that feels tangible, um, that somebody who, who's a, 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 a normal individual that's a hard worker can understand. Hashtag lock her up, right? He's saying a lot in there, right? There's corruption. It's been going on for a long time. Something needs to change. It's, it's a swamp, right? Um, people hate how colloquial that is, but people respond um, to a, a more colloquial manner and in in, in, in how I speak. I don't speak to my cousins, uh, like I'm giving a thesis paper, I talk to them conversationally, and that was my style. But Candace, as someone that's had dinner with that Trump guy and has been to the Oval Office and done other things with that Trump guy, I thought, I thought he hates black people. I saw on CNN, he's a racist and a homophobe. It's crazy, and, and I think I'm, I'm fort it's fortunate um, that the, the media continually overplays their hand. Um, it's fortunate because it's the reason that I exist. And anybody who has a modicum of intelligence knows that this man has been in the media for decades. He was never accused of being racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobe, none of those things. And then suddenly he runs for president of the United States and he's all of those things. Um, so for me, it just gave me pause. And I just said, this can't be right. Um, I, I by no means in that moment when he came on the escalator thought he should be president of the United States. Um, <laughs> but I, I also wasn't dense enough to believe that as he came down that ex escalator, he suddenly became the literally Hitler white supremacist <laughs> um, that CNN and MSNBC tried to turn him into. So I appreciate the media. Um, and them, them constantly smearing and libeling people um, because I think that it's actually, it's working in our favor and, and it's working on the side of truth because more people are questioning their relationship with the media. So how does someone like you balance the identity politics that you hate, that we constantly mock, versus, as you always say to me, you just want black people to think for themselves or, or have black people realize they don't have to be Democrats. So there, it is twanged with identity politics, right? Brexit is twanged with it. And I always say when people ask me this, that it, it's, I have to use their rules against them, sort of something like that. But how, how do you balance that? Well, I think it's, it's understanding the difference between identity and identity politics. So I am happy to be black. I think black can be an identity. I think Jewish can be an identity. I think uh, part of your identity can be, if I was pregnant and I wanted uh, to take a, a class and, and sit around with a bunch of pregnant moms and talk about the struggles that we're going through, that's not identity politics. Um, that's all of us coming together because we share a certain identity. Um, and, and we're talking about certain things that are relevant to us. Black Americans convening to talk about things that are relevant for them is not identity politics. If I was using Blexit, um, and at our Blexit events we were saying, you need to vote for Donald J. Trump. <laughs> you need to stop being a Democrat and start being a Republican. Um, that would be identity politics. Um, because of the color of your skin, yeah. it's quite the opposite. Um, we're talking about why the color of our skin and, and the dialogue and the race dialogue is meaningless. 
Um, we're talking about taking responsibility for things that are going on um, in, 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 uh, our, amongst our communities um, that we have been the perpetrators of. You know, we talk about police brutality in a real context. We talk about that weight against black-on-black -black crime. Um, I think the only way the black community gets fixed is that the black community sort of realizes that we do have an identity, um, that we've made a lot of errors, that we continue to make a lot of mistakes, and we say, you know what, it's time for us to stop blaming the white man. It's time for us to stop looking externally and to start looking internally on how we can make a difference. So when you see Trump do the State of the Union and he talks about the lowest black unemployment all the time and immediately the headlines say, no, 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 that was because of Obama, which even if perhaps some of that is true, perhaps, uh, well, the guy didn't wreck it, so that, that seems pretty good. But more importantly than that, when you see the Congressional Black Caucus, um, and they sit there with their arms folded over the lowest all-time black unemployment. Now that, something doesn't add up there. Right, and it doesn't add up because when Obama gave his State of the Union and he announced more food stamps and more welfare, they stood up and they applauded. That got a standing ovation. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that you can just use um, to ask black Americans, why is that? Why did Rashida Tlaib walk out? Um, when Trump announced that less people were uh, filing for welfare and food stamps. She said she walked out and she said they were having something taken from them and she just couldn't bear it anymore and she walked out. No. Um, well, she also said impeach the motherfucker the day that she got uh, elected. I mean, right. literally. So it's like, was this a fair judge of what's going on here? Right. And, and what you realize is that um, what they want for black Americans is to be a permanent underclass. They, they, they need black Americans to be dependent upon the government. Um, and that's just the truth. And we are dependent upon the government. By and large, we are dependent upon the government. Um, we've allowed the government uh, to come in and, and father our families. Um, you know, with the Great Society Act in the 1960s, systematically removing black men from the home um, and, and making black women bitter. And that's an interesting thing and one that I haven't talked about enough. But um, people always ask me, you know, what are some of the issues facing the black community? Um, we're not a community. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to do conflict resolution, uh, especially black women. And you know, this, this, this whole stereotype of an angry black woman, um, where does that really come from? I've been having those, sort of, those sorts of early conversations. Well, it comes from the fact that black women have had to do things by themselves because they've allowed uh, the government to tell them that they should be doing things by themselves. Mm -hmm. And after, after decades of allowing this, this whole baby daddy uh, phenomenon to break out into our communities, right? And now we're, we're saying to men they don't need to be responsible because the government will step in and give us more money if they're not inside of the homes. You have this, this new epidemic where you have, you know, black women that are upset. They can't really pinpoint why it is that they're upset. Um, and nothing's really changing and nothing's really been productive. So there's so much that's fractured in my community that has nothing to do with white man, the Jewish man, the Hispanic man, nothing. We have accepted government um, as our source and our solution for everything and simultaneously broken apart our families. So, so one of the things that I think you've explained really well, which is right off that, is that generally, again, the black community, which is a bit of an amorphous term, generally, actually, the values usually do lean more conservative, That's and right. it's only through sort of media tricks that they don't realize that, something like that. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're naturally conservative. I mean, even when all of the candidates were running and, and people were trying to take Pete Buttigieg seriously, and I immediately said, this is all a farce. Pretending that Pete Buttigieg is, is going to be the presidential candidate uh, for the Democrats is a joke because he's gay, right? And he's a gay married man, and the, he's running as a Democrat. And the Democrats um, need the black vote. The black community 
will not vote for a gay married man to be the candidate. That's just a fact. Whether people like that, it makes them uncomfortable, doesn't mean anything. So is that a religious thing, it do is you a, think? It is, is, that a, is tethered that a, to Christianity, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and black people are deeply faithful, and every poll showed that. Right, and you saw the left just ignoring that piece of evidence. Oh, well, we're not gonna look at the fact that you know, black people are, are polling very low and then they're not okay with the fact that he's married to a black man because they don't want to accept reality. Um, so that first and foremost, right? So on, on the LGBT stuff, the black community is fiercely, fiercely, fiercely conservative, um, especially when it comes to the trans stuff. There was a, a remarkable video um, of a black pastor and it doesn't, you can't see what he's looking at, but there's a congregation and he looks straight down at the man and he says, you need to leave, my, you need to leave this church. It, when you come, in, I don't care what you do outside of this church, but when you come here on Sundays, you come dressed as a man. And he was speaking to, obviously, a trans individual, a man that was wearing a dress or dressed as a woman, and he kicked him out of the church and the entire black congregation started applauding, hmm. right? That, that, is, that is the black community on LGBT issues, right? Um, if, if you ask- what, what would you like to, would you like to see something change there? I mean, as someone that I know, you have a lot of gay friends, uh, we're gay. friends, I, and, I, and by the way, I completely separate the T right. thing, the trans thing from, right. from so, the gay thing, so but what would you like foremost, to happen I, I think that, uh, what I'm talking about right now is just the reality in terms of like, yeah. nat black people leaning more conservatively naturally. Um, 100%, I, I hope that the black community is at the forefront of standing up to the trans stuff. I never want to see that, I never want to see that change. And I think that it is incumbent upon the gay community um, to, to, to expel it. You, you take the tea off or, or, or we're not playing the game, right? If, this, if you're saying that now this is a package deal and that somehow you being a married gay man means that in order for me to accept that, I have to also take um, drag queens and, and men that are dressed as women and them being allowed to go into women's restrooms, no. Yeah. I'm not playing the game. Well, well, the other part that I hate about it is that I have no more insight into what it is like to be a trans person than you do. Right. The, you know what I mean? They, I am in the body I am supposed other. to be in. They have nothing I, to do with yeah, each other. You're, yeah. you're talking about a sexual preference uh, versus a mental disorder. A mental disorder is the right way to call it. If you are telling me that your mind and your physical are out of order, right? That that is a mental disorder. Whether you want to call it a physical disorder or a mental disorder, it is a disorder, right? And and. and to conflate that with a sexual preference, which doesn't impact me, right? But does you being married to a gay man impact me? Well, you've, no. you've been here for many nice days. Does it impact me? Does me being married to, to a straight man impact you? Okay, but if, if suddenly, like I said, a part of you accepting the fact that me and my husband are married means that you have to also accept the fact that you know your child is now going to be exposed to men dressed as women and be read to by a drag queen and, and over-sexualized and all of the stuff that comes with, with the trans movement, which I view as evil. I really yeah. do. It's something that I'm, I'm very opposed to. Um, it, that, that's what I see is where it gets problematic and there needs to be, there needs to be more gay people speaking out against it and saying that we're not just going to let you put this on our wagon, right? And, and so, I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm passionately against and I've been against it since I've been on your show. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, Douglas Murray, who I know you've talked to, I mean, he's, and who happens to be gay, I mean, I think he's really led the charge. The book's over here somewhere. Right. Where he separates these two things. They mm -hmm. just have nothing to do with each other. Just to clean all of that up for the, for the people that will clip this and go, oh, tr Candace hates trans people. They've been called transphobic. Yeah, yeah. Times. How would you like if, if a trans person that worked at a place that you work at or a trans person that you met on the street or had coffee with or something, how would you like them to be treated under the law and the rest they, of it? They should be always be protected. This, this concept of like, because I don't want to now adapt my life uh, to the way that you preferred to uh, lead yours now means that I somehow think that you should be harmed or hurt. No, this is America. You should be you should be afforded the exact same protections that I'm afforded un under the law, 
right? But if I woke up one day and said that I was Superman, and I said now all of a sudden we have to legislate the fact that I think I'm Superman, that's crazy. I mean, we have to accept that there are various other disorders too in this world, the mental disorders in this world, people that suffer from schizophrenia, bipolar, all of these things. The difference is, is that we encourage them to get help and we don't demand that the whole world pretend and shift um, to accommodate their, their various illnesses, right? If, if somebody is schizophrenic or, or somebody is suffering from split personality disorder, we don't say, okay, well, you get two votes uh, because you're, you, you think you're two people, right? That, that's the trans argument. Patience, patience. Right? Patience, you're right. Give it just a couple of years, Democrats will be on that too. Uh, but that's the, tra that, that's the trans argument, which is that because this is what I'm going through, gender dysphoria, which is very real, by the way, um, everyone now must adapt. And we must pretend that there's 36 genders when there's just not. Um, and, and then to call people that acknowledge and can see reality for what it is um, bigoted or, or, or saying they have a phobia is just wrong. And, and, it's, it's, not, and it's not an area where I'm willing to give up um, uh, any, any uh, yards on the football field. Yeah, so, so when you see Trump addressing you know, the employment issues with the black community and you understand that the, from your perspective that the conservative, that the black community is more, I hate, I just say to hate saying the community yeah, word. Just, it just, you, you, black people, blacks. Yeah, but even that, like I, cause there, cause of course there's just all these different types of black people, of course, but, but by, by and large or whatever you want to call it. Um, so unemployment down. He's also doing some stuff on criminal justice reform. I mean, we were we were at in D.C. We did an event and we went to the Trump Hotel for a drink and uh, help me with the woman's name that we met the woman that he got out of jail. Oh, Alice, uh, Johnson. Al Al Alice Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he's done some some pretty good stuff there too. He's done some really good stuff, and and I will say this: it's great that we're addressing some of some of these. Um, you know, older policies that were put in place, uh, first and foremost, like the things that were put in place by the Clintons themselves, um, that definitely did disadvantage black men. And I've realized that um, I, I do see a disconnect, and this is where I, I go separate from a lot of conservatives on this issue, because I have found that some conservatives are hardcore on criminal justice, and they say, you something bad, you locked up, throw away the key, and you're done with it. And, and that, to me, shows that they have not had much of an experience with people that end up in the system. And I do agree that about, above a certain age you commit enough crimes, um, you, you basically, it becomes very hard for you to come back from that. But when people are young and they're committing their first offense and it's the first time they're going into prison, so much change can happen. Uh, their, their circumstances are usually being led by, you know, I have uncles that have spent their lives in and out of prison. Um, when you're completely impoverished and your back, back is against the wall, when you don't have your father at home, um, sort of the natural direction that you trend to is towards the streets because you, you will pursue that paternity elsewhere, right? So if you are not getting that guidance from mom and dad because they're not at home and you're not having dinner around the table at night, you're still going to want mm. somebody to be the mom and dad. So that leads you to the streets. That could lead you to culture. That could lead you to hip-hop. Suddenly, Jay-Z and, and, and Kanye or mom and dad and whatever they're telling you, if, if somebody's saying, grab a gat, go outside, you think that that's the direction that you should be into. Um, so there's so much that happens when you talk about the, the, father, the fatherless problem that we have in the black community. And if you can get them in prison and you can make just, just small differences in terms of helping them transition when they get out. You know, I've been in prison for two years. You're going to give me $50 and a bus ticket and you, you expect me not to go back to, to crime? Um, it, those are the things that are, that, are, that are really important. And I spent some time two years ago uh, visiting some prisons and speaking to the inmates um, and, and it really woke me up to that. Now, on the other side of that, and where conservatives are getting it right, um, is that this is not, you, you can't make the argument that because there's a lot of black people in the system, um, that the system is rotten. Uh, black people, we, we commit more crimes. Uh, that is just uh, the truth. We are disproportionately represented in the prison system because we are disproportionately committing crime. It goes back to that thesis of, we gotta be more responsible. <laughs> yeah. Ah. yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Okay, so 
if why is this stuff so hard for people to understand? Do you think like is that purely just because of the cultural aspect that you just constantly get the reverse message? Yeah, it, it's not hard for people to understand. It's people don't want to understand it. Um, I, I say now that nobody ever won um, an election cycle on the slogan of "Be more responsible." Right? Yeah. No, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody yeah. wants to hear "Be more responsible." Right. Um, and and that's the truth. A lot of these things and these issues that we have in society are because people are not being more responsible because people are making bad decisions. And unfortunately, um, going back to culture, yes, we have a culture that tells them it's okay to not be responsible. So there, it's okay to offset all of your issues. It's okay to blame you know external institutions uh, for the problems that you're dealing with internally. Um, so it becomes easy. And like I said, looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I am a, I am bad in this way or I need to correct this, it, it's hard. Um, and most people just don't have the humility to do it. Do you find it funny the way they always end up turning it on themselves too? So once you use racism or sexism or homophobia as the tool, it always ends up coming back on you. So like Cory Booker gets out of the race, next thing you know, Cory Booker's saying that, you know, it's because of racism. Uh, any of the, any of the, Elizabeth Warren gets out, everyone says it's because of sexism, but it's like, guys, uh, it was the Democratic primary. Yeah. It, it, it was your people. It, it wasn't those evil Republicans. It wasn't those evil conservatives. It, it, it was your people. So you're saying your people are racist? And, and actually, that is what they're saying. And perhaps there's some truth there. Right. And, and what they say, basically, is if I don't get what I want, there, there's, there's something bigger <laughs> happening on. There's something bigger going on. How sweet is that? It, it, you know? it's, it's the best thing ever. And, and actually, um, I was just responding to a tweet when I came in here. But... Um, though the woman who had that big uh, mathematical hysterical, did you see that on oh, MSNBC? Oh, uh, uh, Gay is her I last name. Is, her it, is it Marcy Gay? Yeah, I think it's Marcy Gay from yeah, the New York what Times. Was it? She was 500 on... million uh, yeah. d divided by 300 million. <laughs> equals one million or something. That basically crazy. Bloomberg, in, with the 500 million that Bloomberg spent yeah. on the on the campaign, he every could have given every American a, a million dollars. A million dollars. Yeah, and Brian right. Williams agreed with him. And, and the, agreed. Apparently the researchers and all, it's like, we're in here, I got a couple crew members in there, but we're just doing our thing. Right. It's like, nobody's got no IFB here with someone telling me numbers. They have a whole series of people in there. Right. And yes, 500 million could actually give a million people to every American, every 350 American, million 350 Americans. 350 million Americans. Her math on that is 500 million divided by 350 million Americans. Um, but putting equal, aside the math mistake, I don't think that's where you're going but with yeah, this. Well, yeah, well, because then she tweeted, I don't know if you saw this Yeah, yesterday. I saw it, I saw it. She's written an article saying that the racist mob is not going to stop her because of her, her she, she had to endure ra you know, racism because mm -hmm. of her mathematical error. And, and, and how pathetic is that? I mean, really think about that. This is what really frustrates me. This, this whole concept of black people being strong, are we acting strong right now? No, we're acting pathetic, right? You can't accept that people are mocking you because you did something that was ridiculous and embarrassing. You know what would be strong? You owning it and making fun of yourself. What would be funny would be you going on Saturday Night Live and doing a whole skit of right. you like trying to calculate things and being <laughs> wrong, it would be, make you likable. People would go, ah, ha, ha, that's a girl. You know, just, just laugh at yourself. Have a sense of humor. We all make mistakes. You know, we all sometimes get it completely wrong or say something ridiculous. But for you to say even something that small, right? You, you make a mathematical error and you're still able to transform that into a moment of racism because black people cannot be wrong at anything, even when they're literally, factually, mathematically incorrect, it's because people are racist. And it's such a trap door too, because Brian Williams came off looking as, as ignorant and confused as she did, but Brian Williams didn't make an excuse for it, that it had, you know what I mean? Like, and also I quickly glanced at the Twitter feed when she posted the, the New York Times article, and it was like, 
people weren't calling her racist. There was nobody saying anything racist. Nobody was saying, oh, that black woman is stupid because she's black. Like there was nothing like that. It was like you, it was basically like you're both idiots. Both like idiots. it was a lot of that. Not to say that no racist person got in there and said something. Lord knows that I'm sure they did. But like the, the knee jerk response to go, oh, my get out of jail free card is, is this. Right, yeah. and, and what, it, what it really speaks to is the fact that I really believe that in this moment in time, black people are looking pathetic. That the people that we have leading um, culturally look pathetic. Um, this whole, you know, Jesse Smollett is pretending he, you know, he's uh, uh, launching racist attacks on himself, yeah. right? hiring big black men. Oh, like, if you're gonna pay to do it, pay some white guys. Yeah. You know, just at least go with it. So when we see the images, it looks like you maybe thought it was white people that were doing this to you. Um, but it, it, it's it's um, <laughs> it's happening more and more. And another example of that is there was the young black girl, and I can't think of her name at the moment, uh, who said that white boys attacked her in school. It was Karen Pence's school that she teaches at. Yeah. And they cut off her dreadlocks and they called her racial slurs. The entire thing was made up, right? What bothers me about that situation of that young black girl doing that is that it's not her fault, right? She is now being raised in an environment where black people are aspiring to victimhood, mm -hmm. right? She's seeing her idol. She's seeing the Colin Kaepernick's, the Jesse Smollett's, the whoever this is that wrote the New York Times, aspire to victimhood. Like it's like it's um, like you get an award at the end, like you get a trophy, and it's this is an amazing thing. You get to be a victim, and you get to be a star now because everyone's going to come behind you, and they're going to feel bad for you, and you're going to get awards, you're going to get accolades. So this poor young girl, I actually genuinely, my heart hurt for her yeah. because she was so young, and for her to do that, there was no. No other reason than she that she's a product of an environment of black victimhood and and there's not enough black Americans that are able to take a joke right it, just basic things I say to you you know what I'm not living in this simu simulation of white versus black and that's what I think that is going to be the next natural generation of black kids They're just wanting to be a victim all the time so when you've gone to Blexit events and do all of the things you're doing do you sense that that thing is just basically ready to crack. Like when I've seen the videos of the events that you do, it's like the joy that is in that room yeah. is incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. It's way more joyous than if you were to go to some event where you'd be up there going, you know, the, the Republicans did this to you and we're gonna give you more of this. Like there's no joy related to any of that and, and people want to be joyous. Yeah, and and one, of the things you, you, one of the things you always told me from the beginning is how pissed you were that the way that, that black people stopped being funny. Because black people be are naturally funny. We're naturally funny. Black people, Jews, naturally funny. There's something about going through struggle um, that gives you a, a sense of humor. Like yeah, blue, blue the collar, outsider the blue look. Collar, yeah. uh, perspective. And a sense of humor gets you through tough times. It really does. Um, and that was kind of, we, we cornered the market on that, on a sense of humor. And I always talk about the, the old stand up routines. Um, and Bigger and Blacker is the one that comes to mind because it's the one I watched most recently. Just a, a great, it is a perfect, it's a perfect stand routine. Stand you know what's perfect about it? Because he's so racist to everyone. <laughs> he goes in there, the first thing he says is, yeah, white people are in the back tonight, right? And then yeah. everyone starts laughing. And by the time he's done, he's insulted black people, the baby mama drama. He's insulted white people, Jewish people, school yeah. shootings. He even went there at that time. This was in like 1990. Uh, but he starts being like, oh, that's a white person crime. You know what I mean? Like talking about yeah. the differences between white crimes and black crimes. Yeah, he's got um, that great line about... Um, He's like, people think black people don't like Jews, but like, we hate all of you. Yeah, we hate all of you, yeah, right? And, and everyone's laughing, and it's this yeah. incredible one because by the end of it, you suddenly realize that you all kind of suck, right, in your, in your yeah. various ways, and you feel closer, and you feel better for it. That is what humor is always is supposed to be. It's, it was always supposed to be medicinal. It was supposed to be a way of saying that like, your problems aren't as big as the problems of the person next to you, and we all suck, and this is kind of the condition of life, and we're doing this together. You can't do that anymore. 
right? If he did that skit today, go back and, I mean, go back yeah. and watch it. He would be canceled before, I mean, it would be insane. It would be insane. He would be canceled before he got out the first joke and they'd be like, this is, this is not funny. I can't, white people in the back tonight? This is completely inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that would be the critics today. Yeah, oh God, it's all, it's so nuts. Or look at, look at, what's his name that got, he was gonna host the Oscars, Kevin. Uh... You know what, a, t a tweet. Kevin, uh, what's his name? Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, yeah. Yeah, a tweet. Uh, from years ago, from one. 10, more than 10 years ago. Joke, gay, what? whatever. Right, and, and I'll tell you what's wrong with that, the bigger issue with that. The first thing is he shouldn't have backed down, and I thought that that was an example of black people being pathetic. He should have stood his ground, and that, that's what I love about, um, Give me the, the black community and that uh, Dave Dave, uh, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I love Dave Chappelle because he stands yeah. his ground. Um, and he he to me is is he saving black humor right now? And mm -hmm. people won't won't realize until his legacy settles of what he's doing. Um, but aside from that, re remove Kevin Hart um, and think about this next generation of kids. Um, we were afforded. I was I, Facebook started when I was in high school, right? So I got to be a kid. There was no social media. My dad had a beeper when I was growing up, and I got to be a kid. What I mean by I got to be a kid, I got to be a, a crappy human being, mm -hmm. because part of growing up is experimenting with being a crappy human being. It's looking you in the face and saying, you know what, you're fat, yeah. right? Ooh, I, I either liked the way that sounded or liked the way the person reacted. Okay, you know, I was a mean person. I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, it, trying when I had AIM, like, you know, just something mean to say. Yeah, I can say whatever I want. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't have a society who could capture our old, God, could you imagine if the yeah. old AIM chats came back? They'd be like, Candace is canceled in third grade for saying something. <laughs> My handle was brats, brat for life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, really ridiculous stuff, but the purpose of growing up is to experiment with who you want to be. And kids are notoriously mean. They're, they're picking on each other, they're getting bullied. And now you're saying to kids that what you do, um, even if it's 20 years ago, it, you can get wiped out. You could, you could say something in a WhatsApp and if it gets pulled out, your chances of employment, your chances of going anywhere, you're done, you're canceled from society. If people don't realize now how that's gonna contribute to depression and suicide, um, it, it, to me it's just something that nobody has thought about that. How well, it's, it's anti-human actually, it because is. it is your job as a human to, to say what you think, to be who you wanna be, and they're trying to model for young people, no, don't do it. Right. Well, that's why I always say, I mean, you're, that's why you're dangerous. You tell people the complete reverse. Right, people have said to me, by the way, political advice, you know, Candace, every uh, six months you should just go back and cancel your tweets so they're not lingering there. I go, why? Why would I be, if, if someone brought up a tweet from nine years ago, I'm going to be like, yeah, I changed my mind, right? I also don't think Barbies are the coolest thing anymore. I changed my mind since I was yeah. three years old, right? Evolution is normal. Even with that car. We've, She's right. got that cool car. She's driving in Malibu. Maybe I could go said, back. Yeah. Um, but, but people, what the left has done is they've, they've made it seem like there's something fundamentally wrong about evolution. Like it's not supposed to happen. We all evolve. We all evolve. You are not the same person that you were 10 years ago. You're not gonna be the same person in this room that you're gonna be 10 years from now. That is a part, that's a part of the human condition. And when you start to acquiesce to that mentality and you say, I'm gonna just delete, you know, I said something in a tweet that I should have maybe not said, I'll just delete it so I don't have to pay for it 20 years from now. You're acquiescing to something that, that, that people will not be able to survive in the future. So I keep it up because if somebody asks me why I said that, I would say it doesn't matter if I said it. The question is, do I still believe it? Right, yeah. that's the better question to ask me. Have I evolved since that opinion? Not that there's some harm in having a thought or having the wrong idea or being wrong in the first place. And by the way, it's not just your thoughts that they want you to worry about, it's other people that you're associated with thoughts. So sometimes scary Candace Owens tweets something and I'll get a text message from somebody, like a public person, and they'll say, Dave, Candace said that, you know, are you gonna say something? Yeah. As if, as if you're my pet, I keep you in a little bag. 
And it's like, oh yes, I control Candace and I have any right to tell her what to do with the rest of it. But even that idea that it's not just what you say, it's that now we wanna keep you really worried about who you might be friends with and who you might follow on Twitter. And, and I don't play that it. game. And, I, and yeah. by the way, I think that's also something that separates me from most conservatives. You know, people that go mainstream and, and I, 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 for what it's worth, have gone mainstream. I obviously do the big network, networks. I've been on Fox News. Um, they suddenly start being very careful about who they associate with. Like you have to pretend you don't speak to certain people or you don't know certain people or else, you know, you, you might catch it, whatever it is, yeah. right? And case in point, Paul Joseph Watson was the, uh, the first person to have me on the show. You were the second. Yeah. Um, and Paul Joseph Watson and my husband are friends. Um, so I'm supposed to pretend, because Paul Joseph Watson used to be the editor-at-large at InfoWars, that I don't speak to Paul Joseph Watson. He and I aren't friends. I'm not going to do that. I can't be fake, right? So if, if, if you think that some condition of me saying, well, Candace, you can only stay mainstream is if you pretend that you don't speak to anybody that's ever been associated with InfoWars, I'm not, that, that's crappy. And conservatives need to stop playing that game. Well, also because so many of these people, and we see this all the time, and I won't out people right now, but that are privately going to parties together and going to dinners together, but then won't associate publicly. Right, I and hate it's, that. I, it's I, fake, I, it's I, fraudulent. I despise it, yeah. and, and that's why you're seeing this uprising, by the way, of, of conservatives who are saying, these are the neocons, and this is, but, and what they're really getting at, and I don't agree with any, a lot of their ideas, is that people are, are, are scared, right? At the same time that you're saying you're fighting the left, you're playing by their games. Okay, so if you're going to say that you you hate in, you hate Infowars, I don't watch Infowars. I've never watched Infowars, but you know because they're 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 fraudulent and they're fake news and all this stuff. But you'll go on CNN. I don't know how that works, right? If, if, if you go on a, a network that routinely refers to people as white supremacists, Nazis, and all this stuff, um, to me, I have my ideas. These are my ideas about Black America. Whether I'm speaking to you, whether I'm speaking to Paul Joseph Watson, whether I'm speaking to Don Lemon, and whether I'm speaking to somebody on Fox News, I'm the same Candace, right? Mm -hmm. So the environment that I'm in doesn't really matter for me because I'm not sanctioning their ideas. If I go on CNN, I am not agreeing with everything Don Lemon has ever said. If I am going on the Rubin Report, I am not saying that I agree with everything that you have ever said. And conservatives should stand by that. That should be across the board. Like, it, it is okay to speak to people that you disagree with, you're not going to catch something if you talk to people that you do not that you do, you do not agree with every single thing that they say, yeah. and that there's a, there's a a cowardice about that. Well, also you see this crazy version where putting whatever you might think about infors, and I also I, I was on once, I did Alex Jones once, but I've literally never watched it. You know, I see the, these memes. Well, you don't see them anymore because people are afraid to get banned. But you see memes of the guy screaming and, it's, it's, it's and gay frogs or the rest of it, whatever. It doesn't even matter. But Trump gave his big coronavirus speech last night, and I was watching CNN because I do try occasionally to flip through just to get a feel of what's going on. And CNN comes back, and it's. Uh, Chris Cuomo and uh, who's uh, Jim Acosta, and they immediately go into Trump, within within thirty seconds of Trump's speech. He gives the, probably the most important speech that a president's given in a, you know at least a decade or something, right? And they immediately go to his xenophobic language. Yeah, and it's like, guys, that's not news. Right, it's not news. It's that's not news. Not news. I totally agree, and 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 I think that you guys, CNN, you were calling it the Wuhan virus two weeks ago, right? And now because he says it's from China, it's racist. It's yeah, like, and, I mean it's true, and and this is the environment that we're in, unfortunately, and I think that. Um, it's incumbent for conservatives not to play by the left's rules. And what I mean by that is even, you know, I, I don't watch InfoWars, um, but I think that pretending that Alex Jones is this big villainous character is wrong. It's wrong. I, I think that we know people watching, I assume, from what I've seen in the clips, it's, it's like the WWE <laughs> of politics. It's yeah. like making voices, sounds, it's like entertainment. You know what I mean? And all of these, to pretend that every person that watches him is like some like young white supremacist in training is just irresponsible and sloppy. Um, and I, I, I just try to be 
um, authentic in terms of the way that I view all people. And I'm not going to suddenly, because I'm accepted into the mainstream, uh, it, you know, pretend that, well, I'm not that kind of concern. I'm not that kind of uh, whoever it is. And I, I think there's been a lot of that in the conservative movement. And we need to stop that sort of like Puritan um, uh I guess a Puritan perspective that I see a lot of people are holding right now. So I wanna get into some of the things that we disagree on. And we actually, I just did your show yesterday and we, we unearthed a lot of it and hopefully we can take it a little further right now. But what do you make of the, the never Trump conservatives who are now suddenly, they were like all suddenly socialists. Yeah. Like it was like one thing to be never Trump, that could be your position, so, so be it. You don't like his attitude, you don't like the way he tweets the rest of it fully. You may not like his, his policies from a right perspective, but they're suddenly all like, they kind of like Bernie now, or they're mm -hmm. like all on team Biden. It's like one thing to be against one guy, but how can you be a conservative and be for Biden or something like right. that? Right, so here's what I'll say. Um, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, Glenn Beck used to be a never Trumper. Glenn Beck, but he was on the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Glenn so Beck was a never-Trumper, yeah. Because I, I spoke yeah. to Glenn Beck, I did a show a few weeks yeah. ago. And what we talked about, was we were talking but, about evolution and saying that, like, you know, there were tons of people that were never-Trump, you know, good reasons or bad reasons, like, you know, the people weren't sure about him, myself included, when he first came down the escalator. Um, the people that have kept that up at this point, um, or have, have said, are, are just suffering from extreme arrogance, right? And, and they kept it up so much that they're now saying, oh, I'd rather be on the side of socialism. You're basically saying that you want so badly to be right um, about this person that you have been so against, right? You've taken such a hard, hard drawn, drawn such a hard line in the sand about hating him. Um, that you're actually willing to accept things that you know will fundamentally reverse the country that you live in, um, that will fundamentally break down the fabric of America just so you can be right. I can think of no greater example of narcissism. Yeah, it's just like this perpetually endless, well also because the outrage, it sort of goes to what you were saying before, it's like you, they need this endless outrage to kind of keep this machine, like that's how they define themselves. Right. So you need it, and it's always a lot easier to be the complainer than the doer. Right. right. Like that's, uh, that's it right there. But all right, let's get into some of the stuff we talked about yesterday because you were asking me, you were going, Dave, and I've heard it before, Dave, what do you mean you're still a liberal? You're still a classical liberal. Come on, you're a conservative, and we unearthed some of that. One of the things I said to you is what, I would love to see a space for people on the right and conservatives or Republicans, whatever you wanna call it, to carve out some room for sensible pro-choice people. Um, and I don't really see it right now, and my position would not be to try to convince people on the right to be more pro-choice at all. Uh, but I happen to agree with people on the right about most of the other things, so I'd like to see a bit of a wider tent there. Well, I, I hope that I have carved out that space, you know, yeah. because I felt the same way when I became a conservative that it was like you need to say all of this instantly and agree with all this instantly um, or you're not really a conservative sort of a thing. Um, and I think that there needs to be a, exactly what you said, a wider tent, and we can't become what we hate. The left puts everybody up to these purity tests and says if you don't agree with, if you agree with me 99% of the time, but you disagree with me 1%, you're not allowed to be um, on the boat. Um, and I need- Not just I, on the boat, now we have to drown now you. Now we have to drown you. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. we gotta tie some rocks to your feet. And, right, <laughs> you know. right, you gotta go overboard, you gotta walk the plank. Yeah. Um, and I think that we have to be conscious as conservatives not to do the exact same thing. And I know that in terms of the pro-choice thing, I have been a person that I think has been more accepting than anybody in the conservative movement um, because uh, you remember when I was sitting on your show and you, and you first asked me and I said, I'm gonna kind of not say what I think about this just yet because I wasn't ready and I didn't have my opinions um, formulated on the basis of fact yet. Um, my opinion is that I'm pro-life. 
Um, and but I I know that there are a lot of young women who have made the decision. This is what I was struggling with. I had I had so many friends and family members who had made the decision to have an abortion. Um, and for me to then say that they you murdered your baby, you're a horrible human being, you're irredeemable. Um, it would been it would have been inauthentic, and that's why I wasn't ready to make that leap. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, you know, I had a remarkable conversation with a woman um, and who is strongly pro life uh, and had three abortions. And she said that she had her, her come to God moment where she realized that she was doing this thing and she was having these abortions because she was a part of a society that told her it was a clump of cells, mm -hmm. right? So you're forgetting that you have these young girls who are, they don't want to murder their offspring, right? But they're growing up in a society that is mocking, making abortions seem like it's a really easy process. Like you go in, you're going to be fine to clump of cells. You have the girls now doing the TikTok videos, making fun of like, you know, how easy it is to get an abortion. You've got Miley Cyrus and her abortion cake with her tongue out half naked. You've got Michelle Williams on, on stage. Uh, I think it's Michelle Williams on stage accepting an award and, and giving a speech about how happy she is. She killed her kid and she's holding a trophy. Well, this is what's raising your kids, culture, right? And so how can you fault a young girl who goes in and makes the decision at 19 years old to remove a clump of cells yeah. and then tell her she's irredeemable and that she's a baby killer? That's not that's not creating room in the conservative movement. What you can say instead is that, you know what, you may have made that mistake, mis that mistake when you were young. You may have done something when you were young because you thought you hadn't evolved and you thought that you were making the right decision and the best decision based on societal pressure, which tells you when you're a young girl, your whole life is going to be ruined. If you're not married, you don't have all of your finances figured out and you have a kid. That's what you kind of learn in school. And this is the responsible decision to get an abortion. Um, but you can change your mind. Um, and you can actually be one of the loudest voices for pro-life. It actually, it, it holds more weight yeah. um, if you're somebody that's Whoa. converted away from it. And similar to me being a person that was a liberal and converted away from it, it actually holds more weight. So what if you actually don't go that far and you're still, say, more where I would say where, to me, first trimester, do I believe it's a life? Yes, because that clump of cells you're talking about, if we found it on the moon, everybody would say it's life, right? So like, I'm not playing the life game in any way. But do you think there is room for, for people that would say first trimester or a couple weeks or so, you know, some version of that, we don't have to give an exact number, um, in, in the conservative movement that they don't view it as necessarily wrong, but just like an, an awful choice to make or, or that they worry about whatever the, the health defects are or health to the mother or the rest of it? Right, so I think, I think first and foremost, the most important thing that you're doing is you're acknowledging it's a life that already makes things so much better. Like if, if the left acknowledged it was a life and taught that it was a life, abortions would decrease, no one would even be arguing about it in, in, in Congress anywhere because abortions would magically decrease the number that it was like not even a debate, right? Because people would suddenly realize it's a baby and I'm making, it's a heavier decision um, because it is a baby that I'm, I'm going and determining a pregnancy. There's a real living thing inside of me. Um, so the education to me is 90% is of the battle. Mm -hmm. The second point, in talking about people who abort because they have a special needs child, um, it would be really crazy to say to people um, who were, were, have responsibly plan, you know, planned to have a child and you know, have saved up their money and done everything the right way and they find out that their child um, is going to require much more money, much more time, um, to say to people that no, no matter what you have to have, this is, this, is, this is now what you have to deal with, this is what God gave you. Um, would you like to think that in every scenario people say, you know what, this is what God gave, this is the, you know, the burden that God gave me, or I don't mean to call a child a burden, but like this is, yeah. some, uh, um, I guess, a, a, a test or a, a struggle that God is, is, is putting my family through for a reason, and when people do that, it's incredible, um, and, and it's beautiful, but to, ex to expect, rather, that every single person is going to do that, to have the means to do that, 
that, especially when I know a person who has a, a severely um, challenged child, uh, physically and mentally. Um, aside from the financial burden and, and not being able to afford anything and the stress and breaking down people's relationships and things of that nature, their biggest fear is that when they're done taking care of their child, no one else will, that their child is going to a system. Um, and and to, to tell a parent to just accept that reality that when you die, because you are going to die first, um, that your child who is, you know, in a wheelchair, can't help themselves, can't feed, can't feed themselves, they can't do anything, um, is just supposed to, I guess, be given uh, to government and hope that other people take care of them is some, a, a burden that parents should just say, okay, and give no thought to. Um, I don't think that's realistic. Well, and, and by the way, conservatives don't want those programs, too. Do you, so if, if you were to allow people to have certain abortions up to a certain point, or, or tell, no, if you were to tell people that they can't have abortions at all, do you think the state then has a responsibility to take care of more of those children? Um, you know what, that's a Because that's, that's a tough one for right, conservatives, that's right? One. That's a tough one. Do they have a, a responsibility? Well, if, if it, it became a law. If, if abortion, if Roe v. Wade was flipped mm -hmm. and all of the states suddenly yeah. said abortion is illegal, period, now people start having abortions. And first off, we know, like, the, the uncomfortable facts about this are that people of a certain economic uh, level will still get abortions mm -hmm. in, a, in a safe manner. There will be ways. Will some people that aren't economically able to do it do it in back alleys and the hangars and all the horrible stories? Of course. So you create this weird economic thing also. But if the state was to say no more abortions, period, mm -hmm. does the state then have a responsibility, I guess from a conservative perspective, to help these people? Um, well, I guess the first I don't know that I've ever heard the right, a, right. a good well, I mean, answer I, on I think, well, the, the good, I think the good answer is that the state is already doing that. Um, I mean, the state is already, when you're talking about what having a child is going to be a financial burden, and I'm talking about healthy children. This is what I really disagree with. Like the healthy child and people are just like, inconvenient, throw it away, inconvenient, throw it away. I mean, look at the welfare system right now and the various people that we support and take care of and all of these different things. So pretending that this is going to be like, you know, one more kid that, that gets a welfare check, and which I'm against, by the way. I don't think right. we should be raising people's children and, and paying for these things. And the economic argument here is that when the government actually stops taking all of our, our money and giving it to all these various programs, it's been proven that people give more. People are more inclined to do charity. Uh, who gives more to, to autistic causes than people that have autistic children, right? Um, people uh, who, whose parents have uh, suffered or died from Alzheimer's are the ones that are most inclined to get to Alzheimer's research. Um, I think that we've gotten into a place in society where we, we don't realize how charitable people are when they're not being robbed blindly by the government. Um, so I, I'd like to think that as a community, people would want to take care of one another, especially people that have lived through those situations before, they'll be more inclined to take care of one another. Um, but that's a, that's a way bigger question that requires more thought of like, if you start forcing people to have special needs, you know, children, if they, in this, if they were going to abort it. Because Not even special needs it. children. If, a, if someone just wanted to have an abortion and, you, and the state said you can't, mm. and then they force that person to bring the baby to term, what is the state's responsibility? So it's not, it, it could well, be someone up, with- Typically you have yeah. children that grow up in group homes, and, yeah. children that, yeah, that give- So it's know. happening already. Yeah, it's point. already happening. Yeah, that's already, that's already built into the system because there are some, tons of people who uh, just morally don't want to have, don't want to have abortions. There are tons of children that make, uh, young girls who make that decision um, and their story is just not covered. I knew a girl who I worked with when I was interning at Vogue um, and uh, she had already had a child and she gave it up for adoption. Um, because she morally, as a Christian, did not believe in having um, an abortion. A beautiful little girl, she has a relationship with her, um, and she just was not ready to be a mother. Um, I actually think that one of the biggest things that we need to start fixing and addressing um, is our adoption, sh adoption system. Uh, if you talk to any parent that wants to adopt a child, it's like impossible. 
It's it, it, it it's like it, they can't. They got to jump through ten thousand different hoops by the time you thought you were gonna have a baby. Now you got a ten year old because it took ten years yeah, to, to go through the paperwork to, yeah. to be able to adopt a child. Um, so that would be, I, I think, an area of interest for me is looking at what is the system if you want to adopt a child and why is it so complicated um, when we know that there are tons of people that are having children, um, healthy children, that necessarily don't know if they want to take care of them. What do you say to all the people that are like, oh yeah, it sounds right, you should just stop all the programs and stop the food stamps and stop the government assistance and the subsidized housing and Section 7 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it sounds right, you should just stop it, but, we, but you rip that Band-Aid off and then all hell breaks loose. I, we've talked about this a little bit before, because that's where I always see people say, ah, she just doesn't get it. You know, these people are gonna suddenly be all, all out on the streets at once. I'm so against the welfare system. I mean, I'm, I'm fully against the welfare system. It has nothing but hindered people. Um, we've learned the lesson over and over again. If you incentivize people to do nothing, they will do nothing. Um, and that is exactly what the welfare system does. Um, it needs to be revamped. Um, it needs to be corrected. I mean, Rip it off like a Band-Aid, I, I, probably the best, because if people know it's nothing's, nothing's there to support them, they're gonna figure it out. That yeah. is, that is uh, human nature, right? If you, if you know that it's not gonna, a check is not gonna come, you're gonna figure out how you're gonna eat. Right, um, I, I've heard people say, well, over a course of a year, you could slowly yeah, keep reducing benefits. But I suspect that most people, just because it's human nature, it has nothing to do with skin color or anything else, will still keep the same habits, thinking that at the end, it will start coming back again because that's what the government always does. You, you know what I mean? So? Something. Yeah, I think if you slowly take it away, the people actually won't change their habits. Really, I think no, they would. I think, yeah, I think they would. And, and I say this as somebody who has I was actually giving you the I was giving you the argument for rip it off because it, yeah. it almost seems like the shock and awe oh, well, is I almost mean, the I only mean, way to do it. Yeah, I guess I was misunderstanding what you were yeah. saying there because what I was saying is that if you said to people when they went on welfare, you only got it for one year. And that's it, it's over. They would have in their head that timeline. I got one year, I got a little bit of playroom, and I gotta get off of welfare. Yeah. The problem is that it's perpetual. And it well, just that's what going. I mean. It's almost like it's gone on for so long that they wouldn't even believe the government would ever stop it. Right. So, like, you get the paper, and the paper says, Well, guys, starting today, you know, we've been doing this for 12 years, but every month we're cutting, you know, 10% till it's gone. Right. They'd just be like, Nah. Not happening, right. and then most likely the government caves because right. people will get on. T politicians get on TV, and then you see what they're doing to these mean people. They're doing to these people. It's the mean Republicans, and yeah, it's got to be something that someone does in their second term. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, nothing you can do here. It's just happening. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, there definitely needs to be. Um, just a complete revision of the welfare system as it is. And I'm not saying that there aren't some people that actually have legitimate claims to health. This is I'm saying that there, maybe there's not some people that have legitimate claims to needing an abortion for medical emergencies and things of those nature. Um, but when it becomes the norm, the, the overwhelming majority of people are taking advantage and making horrible decisions and placing a burden on people like me and you who get up and have to work every single day and somehow have to support their lifestyles um, of, oh, I, every time I get, uh, I have another baby, I get another check. That's incentivizing bad behavior. I'm yeah. just going to keep having babies. Knowing I can't afford them, that's the whole reason I'm on welfare in the first place, but knowing that the government will give me more and more money. It's just, it's just honestly, it's just human behavior. Doesn't it also strike you as like a sort of very dim and depressing view of what humans are, that unless the government forces us to do things, we'll never do anything good for people? You know what I mean? Like there, there are charities that I give to that I don't run around screaming about or I try to do some good things in my life and mm -hmm. treat my employees right and the rest of it because I believe that it's on you versus like these people that think if, you, if we don't demand that the state does everything, no one will do anything good. You're actually saying much more about yourself right. than you're saying about 
people in general. Right, and they're wrong. I mean, you, you can literally look at when, when the taxes are lower, Americans give more. When the taxes are higher, Americans give less, and that's because they're having their own money taken away from them. Um, so it, it, they can think that all they want, but they're, they're fundamentally wrong. And I don't think that the majority of them even think that, especially not the leaders and the politicians. I think that you just, especially on the socialist side, um, of the argument and uh, the Bernie Sanders and the AOCs, I think they genuinely just want power for themselves and, and the best people to make a plea for power are people that are impoverished and don't have that self-confidence to believe in themselves. Uh, to go to them and say, your life is not your fault, it, you know, it makes them feel better. Oh, that's right, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that I had five kids out of wedlock. Um, and it also makes them such job. heroes, right? I mean, AOC right. is such a hero. Bernie is such a hero. He can help all these people. Right. Never Although accomplished I, anything, but. They had, it, help all those people and they get behind them and it's just easy vote for them because people at the end of the day um, are lazy. If, if you tell them they don't have to do anything and, and they don't want to do anything, they're not going to do anything. So it's an easy political strategy. Um, but I think what I try to tell people is that if you just wait, right, if, if, you, if you just go through the hard work and yes, it's not going to be easy because life is not easy and we're all struggling and, and, and you can have a bad day tomorrow even in the midst of having a great year. But if you just wait and, 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 and you put a little bit in and a little bit more in and you do this every day, day in and day out, that feeling that you get when you accomplish something, the feeling that I have right now sitting across from you knowing that I now run two businesses by myself um, and I started my life as a girl in a, a roach infested apartment. Um, you wouldn't trade that feeling for the world. There's no, the government can't do that for you, that feeling of accomplishment. And that's what I think um, is being taken away from individuals, knowing how good it feels when you get to the finish line. Ah, that's good. We should end there, but we're not ending there. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was the right ending. Let's just do a couple more of, the, of those sort of what the conservatives can do to maybe be a little more open that we, we talked about on your show. Um, so one of them was uh, marijuana. Mm -hmm. So I told you, I, my feeling is that marijuana should be legal. I don't care if the states do it. I'd prefer not the federal government to do it because I think it should be a, a state's rights issue. And if Colorado passes it and you know you don't like it, then you can move somewhere else. And if you move somewhere else and they don't have it and you want it, then move to Colorado and the rest of it. That's how I like the American experiment to work. Most conservatives um, are pretty much against legalizing marijuana at either level, <clears throat> excuse me, and they, they sort of take this odd approach because you would think that they would want the government out of people's lives. Mm. How, how do you uh, sort of so arbitrage that? So what I've noticed that? is, first and foremost, there seems to be a disconnect with uh, a lot of conservatives about the effects of marijuana. I know, like, I've spoken to some people who have never spoken marijuana, smoking, smoked marijuana in their life, um, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking of someone I used to date who had never smoked marijuana in his life, and what was really interesting about it is that he had it in the same categories like heroin. Like I was, I was just impressed with how wrong he was about what people right. do what, you know, when they smoke a joint. Like he thinks, I don't know, maybe it's like a methamphetamine, they get up, they go rob a, shoot, shoot a gas station, <laughs> rob people. And the truth is, is that um, it makes people, in my opinion, impotent. Uh, they sit on couches, they, 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 they want to eat a bunch, they're laughing, they watch movies. They're definitely not going out and, and, and committing crimes and, and, and things of that nature. Um, I think the conservative argument is that it's a gateway drug. I think I've heard they, a lot of they that. love that. that yeah, argument. And, and I just where, where I have. But then it's like, well, alcohol is a gateway that's, drug. That's what right? I was going to get at. Yeah. So I had this um, this debate with Rick Santorum. Actually, <clears throat> he was sitting next to me and he was talking about the uh, marijuana thing. And I actually didn't really have a stance on it. I just like to engage my brain um, and debate people when I think that they have something that's fundamentally missing in their argument. And he was drinking a glass of wine and saying that marijuana should permanently be banned because of its bad effects. And I said, well, how do you reconcile that with you drinking wine? 
Um, and you know, I go years in and out of not drinking alcohol. I'm not drinking alcohol this year. Didn't drink alcohol when you met me. Um, and uh, you had one good year in there, though. My wedding year. We you can't. You can't not we drink had a good time. We had a good yeah, time. You can't not drink when you're getting married because uh, <laughs> uh, everybody gives you alcohol. It's the only gift you get for a whole year until you get married. Um, but so I, I'm saying that I'm, I'm seeing him drink this glass of wine. And I'm wondering how he's reconciling it. And he and he says, oh, well, this is different. And I'm like, well, tell me how it's different. Well, alcohol, it's different for me if I'm drinking alcohol in my house. And I'm like, well, that's exactly their argument for, for smoking pot. And I said, and actually, if you want to talk about having a worse impact on society, alcohol causes way more deaths. People get drunk, they go home, they beat their wives, they party, they make mistakes, you know, they, it, it is a gateway car drug. Accidents. Car accidents. Car I mean, accidents. No. The car accidents that happen from DUIs, uh, which is higher than, by the way, uh, people that are killed by guns every year. Yeah. Look at the deaths by mortar vehicles. Nobody's talking about taking people's cars yeah. away. We don't all have to give in our cars. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I said that to him, and, and, and I think he was starting to see, I was like, if you're going to make that argument, you need to make the argument more soundly. Um, because you either are a person that believes that there should be, you should abstain from everything, and that society is just better off without everything, or if you're saying that people have should have the you know the right, the personal right to engage in drinking and getting blacked out drunk at bars so long as they don't drive themselves home, um, then you're going to have a hard time uh, arguing that people shouldn't have the same right when it comes to pot. Right, and it's funny because for someone like me, it's like, well, I see the conservative perspective is conservatives really want to do what they think in the long term over generations is good for a sound and secure and safe society. I'm not saying marijuana is for it or against it. I mean, I've told you I, I smoke weed maybe once a week. I watch The Simpsons at 11 o'clock and I pass it on the couch. I don't hurt anybody. I have never robbed a bank on weed. And I probably do eat too much popcorn on weed. That would be like the, the, <laughs> the one thing, you know? Um, but. So I understand their argument of like, but if you just if you just tell people that this is okay, then they'll go, oh, something else is okay, or this is okay. But you can't stop human nature. And for the same people that don't want to legislate a lot of stuff, I think it's just a dangerous yeah, spot I don't, to be I don't in. smoke pot, and and I say to people, I would recommend people not not smoking pot because it just it, I think it kills ambition. Like some people are different, you know, people no. like you who are like I can smoke and go to bed and get up and do what I have to do the next day. But I think overwhelmingly it kills ambition. Now, as a free market capitalist, I'm fine with that because I'll crush the competition. Yeah. <laughs> that's the answer. Yeah, that's, that's the answer. The I answer. will crush the competition. So if you want to smoke your pot and stay in bed, I'm, I'm going to go run the world. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's hard. I think it's really tricky. And I I, I, I understand that argument of like, well, then they'll be looking for the next thing. They'll be looking for the next thing once you say that's okay and, and that's true. But I just don't see... I don't see how I could make a sound argument when people are okay with drinking alcohol. So you would basically kick it to the states, which is sort of where it's and then at right now. there's the other argument where I, I said to him, and, and by the way, I was just saying this for the sake of arguing, you know, because I just like to debate ideas. I said, do you think that legislating has, did it stop people from, from smoking pot? It didn't actually. It didn't. I, I don't know any person that I went to college with that did not smoke pot. So it, when it was illegal, it wasn't like people weren't doing it. Right. And the funny right. part is now I don't know if there's there must be some studies on this, but now that it's legal by states, like I doubt. Many Many more people are smoking weed because it suddenly got legal. Right. Because it was so ubiquitous was, everywhere, you could get it anywhere. It. So I don't think suddenly somebody was like, well, it's legal, I'm going to smoke pot. That's right. Nobody, yeah. no, everyone that I knew was smoking pot before it. And by the way, most of them ended up stopping at a certain age. And because it became legal, didn't make them go, oh, well, now I'm going to go out and do it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like, you know, when I first drank, I wasn't, I wasn't 21 years old. You know what I'm saying? So right. it, it, the Goodness. legality well. of it being 21 years old. <laughs> yeah. Know. 
they'll, that'll come back to haunt me when yeah. they dig this up 30 years from now. The legality of it, said the law saying that I can't drink until I'm 21 did nothing to stop me from drinking well before I was 21. I mean, I drank in high school. I drank when I was 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, literally. Um, so it was the first time that I got drunk. And I continue to drink. Somebody's older brother or sister would buy us a pack of beer and, yeah. and do all that nature. So the idea, that what, what's bad about that concept is the idea that like if suddenly it becomes legal, suddenly people will get in line. Um, it's it's just a, it's a faulty argument because we already know that people don't follow the laws. Right? George Carlin has a funny line on pot, which is like, he's like, most drugs, you do them and you want more and more and more. Pot, like you're like smoking and one day you're like, okay, I've had enough of that. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. That, that's pretty much it on that. Okay, so, uh, so we talked abortion, we talked uh, marijuana. The other one we talked about was sort of a carving a space for secular conservatives. And I'm really curious about this space because I've had, have you had, have you talked to Heather McDonald on your show yet from no. the Manhattan Institute? She's a great free market capitalist yeah, I know and her thinker. Well. She did and a lot of great work on the diversity delusion. Thing. Yeah, so you should definitely talk to her and I'll connect you guys and she's wonderful. She is a secular conservative. She's been an atheist or an agnostic her entire life. She said she was never a believer. She was brought up in a totally secular home, and she thinks that there's a strong secular argument for conservatism. Most conservatives don't really think that. I would love to see, and you know I've had my own sort of spiritual awakening where I, I, I am a believer, um, and I certainly believe for a society to organize more than anything else, it has to have some underlying set of, set of beliefs. Um, and our founders talked about God-given rights and the rest of it. Do you think there is space for that? Because I feel like this one makes a lot of conservatives nervous, like that they would let them in, these godless people or something, and that they're gonna somehow un rattle the whole thing, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I definitely don't think they're gonna rattle anything. I think actually when you, once you invite people into the conservative movement, they'll naturally, um, I think they'll, they'll, they'll naturally tread towards spiritualism, and here's why. Um, you, you can't say that you believe in Western civilization without acknowledging that there would be no Western civilization without Judeo-Christian beliefs. Uh, we are what, Judeo-Christian beliefs is what brought the world forward. Um, any studying of, of Western society brings you right back to, um, you know, the, the early Greek miracle. And, and what, what was the Greek miracle? It was an understanding, a move away from the, po the, the tribalism that naturally followed a polytheistic worldview. Right, so when when the world used to believe in polytheism, when everybody thought there was a rain god and a sun god and a god for your illness, whatever it was, they were naturally more tribal because they'd sacrifice. I'm going to kill 26 kids to sacrifice to the rain god today, and there was no sense. There was no sense of reason. There was no morality because this everything was all oh, crikey. The rain god must be pissed off. You know, um, I must sacrifice this goat to the to the rain god. Or oh, crikey, our crops are are. Um, are dried out, I must sacrifice this, and, and there was no thought process. And then the Greek miracle happened. Um, you know, this concept of freedom, where people started to think more and philosophize. And, and we had those early philosophers, uh, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, who started saying, what if there's just one? What if it's, it's, it's one God? And what if my actions actually matter? What if morality matters? It was that, that was the beginning, that was the breakthrough, where we started, they started to really start to believe in freedom, right? And they developed this, this monotheistic worldview, and it reshaped everything. It is literally the beginning of Western society that happened with that Greek miracle. Um, and, and then what, what then transpired beyond that um, was once they started to realize that, wow, like may, maybe there, there is a higher power, and maybe my actions do matter. 
they naturally started to say, wow, then that means we have to question everything that we've ever done that was immoral. And they eventually got to the concept of slavery, which was done everywhere in the world until they had started start thinking about once they started, the, the, the Christian people led the world in ending slavery because they said there is no longer, there, there, there cannot be a moral ground for slavery. It matters. My actions matter. And that was when we saw slavery get abolished, led first by the French colonies, I think uh, French colonies were first, followed by Britain, followed by America. You know, the old white men, the terrible, horrible white men, they led the world in ending slavery. Um, and that was, that was the reason why, right? So if you, if you fundamentally understand why the West is the best, why the West is great, how the West became the West, um, then you do know that you can't untether that from Judeo-Christian belief. Um, so I think that it's, it's, you invite them in, that you, you can be atheistic and you can be conservative, right? But if you really understand what you're trying to conserve, right? Mm -hmm. When you get and you start doing the work, which I had to do, which is like, I know that I'm conservative. What is conservatism? What am I working to conserve? What I'm working to conserve is Western society. What I'm working to conserve is the idea of freedom. What I'm working to conserve is that early Greek miracle that happened. And I can't untether that from um, Judeo-Christian belief. Man, you're getting good at this. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of work, you know. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta read some books and uh, and uh, really not just ask yourself what you believe, but ask what ask yourself why you believe it. All right. So speaking of books, I don't have a copy of Blackout here don't. because the galleys have not arrived yet. They have but not the, arrived. The galleys are on the way. Mm -hmm. I, I know that a lot of what we discussed here, obviously, is what Blackout is about. Um, but what what maybe did I miss, or should we should we hit on or um, you know so blackout for me it was I really wanted to first and foremost lay out my personal story. There's been a lot of conjecture about where I came from, how I became conservative. Is she a fraudulent conservative and uh, all of that craziness? Because people don't realize that I just was apolitical, if anything else. Like so I, to be clear, you're not some sort of secret agent. No, remember, you, you really have been there through all of I've it. I've been what there I since the beginning. Through, I mean, yeah. the YouTubers like digesting my entire life. Life, saying like she must be a plant, like I mean a Soros plant. I'm like I've never even voted. Like yeah. I'm like I literally prior to getting uh, getting into things, I had I genuinely just was not politically inclined. Yeah. Um, and I just thought I had to be a Democrat and thought I had to be a liberal. And you know, looking in the retrospect, I realized how foolish that is. Um, you know, that I didn't realize that everything was really that everything that bad happened in my life was really routed to uh, bad policies and bad politicians. Um, but I wanted to first lay out just my personal story. Um, you know, the subtitle of the book is How Black America Can Make Its Second ex Escape from the Democrat Plantations. Um, and I do believe, um, I say this all the time, people get upset, um, that black Americans are still enslaved today, um, that the left just got smarter and they realized that you, you, you can't enslave people, um, their bodies, you can't have black, black Americans on the plantation anymore, but you can still have black Americans doing all the work for you and reaping no benefit. And that is a structure that we see today between Black America and the Democrat Party. We are doing all of the work. We get we carry them over the finish line, and we benefit not in one single way. Um, and so I really kind of lay out that argument um, and, and talk about what slave life was really like, uh, the breakdown of family, why it was necessary for families to be broken down, uh, to trade, constantly be trading um, uh, slaves from one plantation to the to the next. They could they could have no feelings for one another. Um, at Frederick Douglass, uh, in his autobiography, the first couple of pages, and he starts talking about his life as a slave, uh, he talks about the fact that when his mother died, he felt nothing. Uh, when his sisters were traded, he felt nothing. He had no sense of kinship, no, no familial love uh, for his own blood. Mm. Uh, that was necessary to the institution of slavery. We still have that kinship and that relationship and that community still broken down 
all of these years later, despite the Reconstruction era post-slavery, uh, which we saw black American families getting back together. We were, we were doing something. Um, it's all been wiped at a, away. At a higher rate, a by higher the way, rate. until about 72 or so. Yeah, in the 1950s, yeah. Uh, black Americans were outpacing whites in terms of economic growth. Um, and then immediately following you know, the, the 1960s and the Great Society Act um, and, and the systemic oppression, which started via the welfare system, everything started falling apart. Um, and uh, reading, another, another topic, uh, talking, going back to slavery. Uh, black Americans, it was illegal for black Americans to learn how to read. In fact, it was so illegal that if you were a white person, you were taught and you were, and you were caught teaching your slave to read, uh, you would be found guilty too. It was a serious sin. The reason for that is uh, because they didn't want black people being educated because an educated mind can't be enslaved. Well, what's changed? Uh, look at the illiteracy rates in black America today. Look at Baltimore. Look at the inner cities. Look at uh, we're in California. California, 70% of black boys could not pass a basic literacy exam. Nobody is talking about that. You have politicians that are standing on stage saying that all they care about is black Americans. They're not talking about everything that is harming black Americans today, everything that is recreating the very same plantations that we came from. Did you catch that brilliant line that Bernie had in one of the debates, which is he wants, he's not only so pro-marijuana that he wants it to be legal, but he also wants to have uh, black, black, black business owners owning black marijuana shops right. in black communities. I did not catch that And line. again, I say, this, I say this as someone that's pro-legalizing right. weed, but like, we're gonna incentivize black people to own black marijuana right. shops in black communities. That, that, right, and, 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 but that's, and that's why I don't celebrate, by the way, why I am conservative on the marijuana front is because when you talk about where this is happening, Chicago, I think, just passed uh, you know, marijuana laws. It is, to me, I, I, I know it's, it, it's going to lead to more dysfunction um, you know, amongst black America, first and foremost, because that's how it always is. You know, it, it, it's what is it about progressive policies that always leads to progressive results for the black community, first and foremost. And um, so I, I, I am loathe uh, to, to be smart enough to see the debate between uh, alcohol and marijuana so that I can't firmly say no to marijuana. But I have a thinking brain, and I just don't see how conservatives can make a sound argument against it at the moment. What else has to happen for the black community to break? Uh, I'm going to guess, although I don't have the book yet, that at the end you're going to you either make some predictions or you tell people what tools they need to, to really yeah. break out of this. Yeah, you know, it's 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 not even about making predictions, and I have my own personal predictions, but I definitely am not doing that in the book. I'm giving black Americans a guide. I'm giving I'm giving black Americans an option. Uh, the same option uh, that I saw before me uh, when I started waking up and I'm having this conversation with you. Um, you, can, you can have the option to accept this victim narrative, right? You can have the option to say, I accept this diagnosis of cancer even though I feel fine, walk fine, and have been living fine my entire life. I accept that it's terminal illness and, and I'm going to live like I'm going to die any moment. Mm -hmm. um, or, or you can you can develop a different perspective, and you can develop a victor mentality, as I say. Forget the victim mentality. Develop a victor mentality. Um, look back at, at your ancestors. Look back at your your grandparents. Look back at what they did, uh, what they lived through, the, the seeds that they planted, so that you can afford to be in the circumstance that you are in today. If you are a Black American and you are breathing in the United States today, you are the luckiest among the luckiest of Black people that have ever lived anywhere on the face of the planet. That is an incredible statement. All of human history, the luckiest black people that have ever lived on the face of the human planet are the ones that are living and breathing in America today, okay? If you understand that, and you should understand it by simply saying, where would you like to live in Africa? 
for all that 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 hoopla about they took us from Africa. Find me a, a, a black American that will tell you they want to move back to Africa. I will listen right now. Or Europe. Why I is it no? Book, I, I'll book the flights for them. Right for any person that says we were stolen from our ancestors, I Candace Owens am pledging that I will book the flights if you renounce your U.S. citizenship for you to go live back in Africa. You want you want to cap this at maybe a ten people nope. just in case people nope. are punking there's you. There's none. There's none. We did this. We, we did the same craziness with the Trump. I hate America. Everyone offered them money and flights. I think you might have. Don yeah, Jr. might have. Nobody took nobody took the bait. Right because they know. America is the greatest place they could possibly live. Um, and I You know what, if someone takes you up on this, I'll guarantee one, one first class upgrade. That's amazing. I, I will do that. There we go, right here. I will one do that. One first class upgrade there to go, go to America, but you have to renounce your citizenship yeah. to, to America yeah. and, move, and move to Africa. That's really what you wanna do. Um, and, and, and look, you, you look at Africa today, um, this whole concept that we were taken and we were kings and queens, like this weird myth, like this Disney story, this Disney fairy tale that we were all running around kings and queens and uh, enjoying the crops and, and the fertile land and all, all that we had. And then evil white men came with their guns. And Wait, you're telling me Zimunda's not a place? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is really what the story has come down to. Yeah. Um, when in fact, um, we were sold by our own ancestors. Um, we were already living in terrible situations. We were already slaves. We were already being enslaved. Um, we, we were enslaved first by the Arabs. The Arabs were the first to enslave Africans. Um, and we were sold for things as meaningless. Talk about how, how tribal their society was. We were sold for gin. We were sold for mirrors. Imagine Africa. Look, a mirror. Oh, I'll take 20 of my strongest men. Thanks for the mirror. Take 20 of my strongest men. These are the reasons that we were sold. This is how tribal and how backwards um, their society was. Um, take ownership of that. Take ownership of the fact that when you look at human history, um, and when you look at all of the horrible things that have happened, um, nobody's guiltless, least of all uh, people that are in Africa, because today the slave trade still goes on. The slave trade still goes on in the sub-Saharan region, the very same region that black Americans descend from. They are still being enslaved. They're in a, a midst of a nasty civil war. There's child slavery, there's child, uh, there, there's child labor, uh, there's people that are being sold to, to uh, sex rings, and this is the situation of child slaves in, in Ghana today that are working along Lake Volta. Um, uh, something like 30,000 of them. CNN actually did a report on it last year, you know, because uh, one of them had escaped and he talked about how they would be beat. And he said he, he was beat so bad that he wished that he was never born um, if, he, if they were caught trying to eat the food. This still goes on in that place that you keep glorifying, that you keep pretending that the worst that ever happened was that our ancestors were brought to America. Um, by and large, you, you can look back on that and realize, um, and while it certainly wasn't in the circumstance back then, uh, it is today that it, it was a blessing. In, in the retrospect, it was a blessing that we got out of Africa and that we are, we are in America today, which is why so many of Africans are trying to emigrate to America today. On that note, Candace Owens, I'm so proud of you. Like on the professional level, I'm just proud of you. But on a personal level, like it's just like, I know you, like I know you are the real deal and you have relentlessly lived up to everything that you have said and you're just, you're just gonna keep going and it's just. Uh, well, I thank you and I, I really do great. mean this. Like uh, being on your show the first time, it, I'm so happy that it was your show that I sat down across from first because you didn't push me. You didn't say, you need to know everything. You need to have a stance on everything, Candace. You just accepted that I was authentically saying, I want to learn, 
right? And um, I've done that, and I've, and I've tried to remain authentic, and it's thanks to people like you that create a space, like you were talking about, for people to be able to learn, uh, to be able to grow, and to not feel uh, like they need to be tribal in their political beliefs. I, I feel that I've been able to, uh, to grow and feel confident in what I actually do believe in today. I'll go with that. I know you follow her already, but it's at Real Candace O on Twitter. Thanks for watching.